0: everyone to Two Guys to the Dark Tower King, a podcast where we discuss the characters, connections, and deeper meanings of Stephen King's Magnum Opus, The Dark Tower. I'm Jay Russo. And I'm Sean McGurr. You can email us at 2 at gmail.com. To support the show, visit us at patreon.com/slash two In this episode, we'll cover the Bachman book
1: Roadwork, Part 2. Let's start the show. Part two of Roadwork covers December of 1973 in the life of Bart Dawes. No longer working, his wife having moved out, and all of his neighbors gone, Bart lives a lonely life, driving his car on highways during the day and drinking through the night. One day, he picks up a hitchhiker named Olivia and brings her back to his house. They sleep together and she goes off to Vegas, but not before giving him some mescaline. On the day that his laundry is torn down, Bart vandalizes the construction equipment being used to build the new highway. His relationship with his wife, Mary, remains strained, but he does show up at a New Year's Eve party, where they are both invited. He takes the mescaline, and the trip drives a wedge between them. The section ends with Bart having a philosophical discussion with Drake, a former priest. And more to come on Drake later. Yes. Sean, I would say that this book
0: is really growing on me. It's a little overlong. I I think that maybe by the time this book got into getting published, King's editors were being a little soft Mm. on him. I don't know. Because I think it could have used a little tightening up. But that aside, I struggled to get into it. But now that I am, I'm really liking this book.
1: Yeah. It's funny. When I was looking back on this section, it didn't seem like a whole lot happened. And it was a lot of pages of reading, but I wasn't bored during it, and I'm getting into it. That despite the fact that I don't think that Bart Dawes is a very sympathetic character and not somebody that I think I would want to hang out with. And yet, seeing it from his perspective has kept me me reading the book and kept me entranced. Yeah. The fact that King has me in his thrall with this book,
0: despite the... Lack of supernatural elements and an unsympathetic main character, and really not that many characters. It's, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a testament to King's talent that he can make this this fairly straightforward story seem pretty gripping.
1: Yeah, I, I have a feeling that where I think this book is heading is where it's going to end up, but that's going to be okay, uh, despite not having any twists. I will say that. You know, as we think about it, this book and Salem's Lot were written about the same time, and obviously King and his editor and publisher decided to go with Salem's Lot. This book's still not as good as Salem's Lot, but I'm still enjoying it. Yeah, I agree. It's it's not as good as Salem's Lot. That book's awesome. To be fair, that book is really good.
0: <laughs> I think the main thing I want to talk about when it comes to part two of Roadwork is a quote from Olivia where she looks at the construction site and says. It's roadwork. So what? <laughs> and the the so what is kind of the, the key here for me. This is not important to anybody except Dawes, the roadwork itself, yep. and what the roadwork represents. For Dawes, though, it means everything. And I know that's that's kind of stating the obvious a little bit, but we've uncovered more and we've gone deeper into his personal connections. But, you know, we have his memories of the happiest times of his life with his marriage before his son died. All of the years that his son lived and all the things and memories he has with his son are in the house that is going to be paved over by this highway. And apply the same thing to his job. This is the place where he worked his entire adult life. rose through the ranks. They treated him like family. They put him through college and had him come back and continue to rise through the ranks. This means a lot to him. And he's not willing to let it just be knocked down and paved over. From any reasonable perspective, I get why he has these sentimental connections. But it's just not reasonable. And so that's why we're saying, so what? And that's why anybody else would say, so what?
1: Yeah, it it's funny because he makes a point of like driving Olivia to this it's almost like a scenic overlook for the that that the cities that yeah. the, the city's put up so that they could see the road construction and it's like he's a tourist like showing off his hometown and saying, Hey, uh-huh. look. She's like, Yeah, it's a road. Big, big, mm-hmm. big deal. <laughs> and he doesn't know how to respond to that, right? Because of everything you said, like There's so much there that he can't explain and can't do. The other piece of this is that the road work is also this bigger metaphor, perhaps, for how Dawes is not a man of the current time. And the fact that he's showing it to Olivia, who is at least 20 some years younger than him, there's this generation gap as well, right? So she understands the process going forward, but Dawes doesn't. He doesn't want society to change he doesn't want things to change he doesn't want the laundry to go away he doesn't want his marriage to end he wants his son to be back but there's this also this bigger thing of like there's this energy crisis going on and the cars are changing and the way people act are changing and what the new boss expects is changing and so this all this political things that are going around all that ties up as well and for him it's all represented in that road work and 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 that's the other piece it's the personal and the political here
0: and another thing to say so what about this is Dawes doesn't want anything to change, as you just said, but all of the things that he has done, or failed to do, or deliberately not done, because he doesn't want these changes to happen, have resulted in having nothing left to stay for. Now his wife has left, and she's no longer in the house that he wants to keep. His son, unfortunately, has died, and that happened long before the road work began. He's lost his job at the laundry, so even if that didn't even if the road work weren't happening, he wouldn't be working there anymore. Right. And the laundry has now gotten knocked down anyway. So there's literally nothing left for him to sort of fight to preserve. Yeah. So he should finally
1: get to the point where he's saying so what, but he still hasn't. He's on a street where every house is dark. There's no, Mm. no lights. There's nobody there. And he still wants to stay in this neighborhood that is effectively empty and that he's the only man there. Why is he doing this? Right. What, what, what is it? And it's all of these things together that, as I hinted at earlier, makes Dawes unsympathetic in my mind. Yeah. Because knowing what the situation is, I just can't see why he's doing what he's doing. And it's not easy to say. I agree with him because I don't. He has these opportunities to make things better. And why I can understand it would be hard to lose all these things. Why are you doing this to yourself? What's the point? I don't know what I want for Dawes. I don't want him to succeed in getting the roadwork to stop because that's going to be a Pyrrhic victory. So what, he's going to have the one house that's, it's like those old cartoons where you would see like the road move around the one house to live. And it's like, yeah, then you're living in the middle of a highway. You you don't want that. So what's his end game here? and what, you, what What's he looking for? And knowing that there's those guns, Chekhov's guns that are in the first act, it's just hard to be sympathetic. And even the things, the, van, the petty vandalism he does, none of that makes me like him more. Yeah. I agree that he is an unsympathetic
0: character. And maybe that's why we are so intrigued by this story, because he's, an irrational actor he's doing these things, and he's setting up the potential with each passing day of his obsession and as it flies more and more in the face of any good choice he can make he's sort of like winding a spring tighter and tighter and tighter until we know that th- that spring has just gotta pop back out of the jack in the box right and so we're we're hanging on to that that's that's our motivation to keep reading this story but it's hard like, to just keep watching him make bad choices. If he's going to lose his house that is important and special to him, and if the location of his job is going to change and that's upsetting for him, why not focus on holding on to the things that he still does have? Why not embrace the fact that he can start anew in a different house and hold on to his wife and hold on to his job and maybe start building some new fresh memories that aren't Tainted by sorrow and tragedy, and have a special place in his mind for the death of his son, but in a different house, but where every corner and shadow reminds him of that. That wouldn't be a very entertaining
1: book, I guess. No. Part of the problem I think I'm, I have, and again, this is a minor problem, but we are told a lot that Dawes had the special relationship with his son. At one point, his wife says, Your son. He he was yours mm-hmm. as if they had a special relationship. King talks about the George and Fred shtick that they had going on. That, But, but we never see yeah. any of it. There's no flashbacks to what made that relationship so special between Dawes and his son, between Dawes and Charlie. Like, we don't see them playing catch. We don't see them building a model rocket together or take your son to work day. N- none of those things. We're just told, like, he was your son. You had a special relationship, and now he's lost, and you and you're lost because of that. Even the diagnosis of the son—the son's not there. It's the mom and the father with the doctor, and we see it from Dawes' perspective, but not—we don't hear much about the son, and so it's hard for me to really get a sense of what that relationship's like, to know why it's so important, to know what Dawes could do about it. And at one point, the doctor says to the parents, your son has a brain tumor. He spoke flatly with little inflection, but his eyes watched him very carefully as if he had just armed a temperamental explosive. And that's exactly what he's done. Yeah. He's armed Bart Dawes in some way. And we see that the wife is going through some immediate emotional changes and, and, and we talk through that, but we don't see that with Dawes so much. It's just like a, a really long, long fuse that's been lit. And now four years later, it's starting to get to the explosive part. But not seeing that relationship, I think, is one of the things that makes Dawes unsympathetic. And maybe that's why King doesn't show it, because he doesn't want us to sympathize with this guy too much. But on the other hand, it's hard to know why he's holding this so tight. So, Jay, we're going to get right into our dark tower thinnies
0: all right i continue to be surprised by how many thinnies i'm finding in this book yes there i feel like there shouldn't be any (laughs) but nevertheless so Dawes gets a series of angry letters from the city i guess Mm. saying you got you got to move out and they give him a deadline of the 19th of January, 1974. I thought the fact that it was just the 19th. Yeah, I do a lot of machinations here with the number 19, adding up things in just
1: so way. But this is, King could have picked any day,
0: and he chose 19th.
1: So. And it's December 19th is the day that Dawes does the vandalism. Oh. The chapter is actually December eighteen slash and you assume that it's after midnight when he's done the uh, destruction. So that's on the 19th as well. So I'm going to allow it and say that's intentional. All right, cool. This one really sort of caught me off guard, almost like it did in the movie, the Netflix movie, Gerald's Game. But when Bart's wife, Mary, is asking him to see a psychiatrist to deal with some of his mental problems, Bart's not having any anything to do with that. And she says, are you sure you're okay? And he says, honest, I was a little off the beam, but I'm going to get back on. I dig it. That's right. All things
0: serve the fucking beam. I mean, this was a more organic statement than in Gerald's (laughs) game. Yeah, right. That one just seemed like somebody cut and pasted something in there that didn't really belong. But I liked it. But anyway, this was great. Off the beam. I love it. And... And I love how if we apply our Dark Tower second meaning to that, it it still holds up. Mm. That's a good one. I really like it. I'll come back to the 19 well again here. We learn that Dawes and Mary meet up with their neurologist 19 days after Charlie was admitted to the hospital. Ah. Again, King could have picked any number of days, but there it is. Or not even mentioned any
1: days. Mm-hmm. But there he goes. So as long as we're staying on the subject of days and times, Bart says at one point the sense of time turns to rubber, doesn't it? And this isn't really as much of a Dark Tower thingy as just sort of this idea that time was really weird in the Dark Tower, and you never knew time and direction, what was going on, and that just reminded me of it—that the sense of time turns to rubber. Yeah, I like that's a good way of putting it. I could
0: see Roland using that expression. Yeah. This is a a thinny and also a connection to other Bachman books. We get the the line from Candide in this the best of all possible worlds, and that also appeared in rage mm. two times, and we talked about it as a dark tower thinny because best of all possible worlds is kind of like other worlds than this and so anyway, just thought I'd throw it in here. no, that's
1: a good one. And and the fact that you remember that that was enraged when I had, I couldn't recall that even though it was only a couple months ago, sort of funny. (laughs) So there's a lot of talk about suicide and, and Bart has all these philosophical and interior discussions about what that means. And at one point he says, you couldn't confess suicide or repeat suicide or atone for it because that act cut the silver cord and sent you plunging out into whatever worlds there were. And this idea that there are other worlds than these that would you might happen to fall into were you to commit mm. suicide is sort of interesting, and it's especially interesting when we get to our last Dark Tower thinny because there is a character who tries to kill himself and ends up in another world. Yeah, that of course is Father Callahan in in Salem's Lot slash Wolves of the Calla. He's talking about suicide and he's saying, you know, like I don't want to do it because I. I don't know what's going to happen after that. Hmm. He has enough, I don't want to say Catholic guilt because his wife is the one who's Catholic, but he's heard enough about Catholicism. He's worried enough about his eternal soul in some way that he, or something else entirely, that he's not willing to take that final step towards suicide. So why did I mention uh, Father Callahan there, Jay? I would say because there's a potential thinny. that
0: depends on how loosely you want to interpret these connections. Drake, who Dawes meets at this New Year's party, is a former priest, and the fact that he has left the church because of a loss of faith and kind of is wandering the earth a little bit, the way that he spends his time and his general attitude and his instinct to be helpful and you know to his to his fellow human beings all still rings true for how a priest sees the world. But there's that one final element of his life that is broken or missing. And that is like to a T the description that I would give Callahan. Oh yeah. So this almost feels like that Drake is Callahan giving a false name. If I found out that that was the case, like somehow we learned that from King in an interview or something. I would totally buy it.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I would totally buy it. I have a feeling that, again, we mentioned before that Salem's Lot and this book were written about the same time. Whatever was going on in King's Head, he had fallen priests in his mind and mm-hmm. thought that they would be a interesting character. And it is. I mean, I think we both yeah. agree Father Callahan's one of the more interesting characters in both Salem's Lot and the Dark Tower series. Uh, We're, Mm -hmm. we're both uh, drawn to that character and Drake is sort of this mysterious, it's really bizarre, right? Like Dawes is walking through this new year's Eve party and he's tripping and he ends up in the study of the host, the host's office. And he sits down and like, there's just a guy already sitting there. If there weren't for the fact that he actually gets Dawes home and that he then, drake takes a cab away from Dawes' home you almost might think that he's not even real that he's part of the trip that yeah that, that he's yeah. on with with the drugs but uh he seems to be real and i think he's just like i said a type of character that king was interested in and was playing around with in both books my very first thought was
0: that this was a an incarnation of flag actually mm. Because that first moment when he walks into this room that should be empty, no nobody at the party should be in this room, right? right? It's like where they piled up the coats or something. And there's a guy in there and he's sitting in the shadow and he just kind of, he's just friendly in a kind of creepy way. Yep. Like that, that initial impulse was, oh, shit, is, is King pulling flag into this story? Yeah. And what's his name and what are his initials and what's going on here? And then we got the whole fallen priest thing like, flag, flag might do that. Yeah, that might be flag, still might be flag. And then as it went on a little bit more, I realized no, if this is any character, if this is any connection, this is Callahan. It's the right time period. The thing that really makes me think it's Callahan, it's not just that he's a priest, he's not just a former priest, it's that. He seems like world-weary, but tough Mm. in the way that Callahan was. It's not just the trope of the ex-priest. It's it's that plus a very specific type of person.
1: Yeah. The philosophical nature, the willingness to sit down and discuss these big issues, right? That was what Callahan's whole thing was. Like, What's the big evil versus the little evil? And that's what Dawes wants to talk about in some way as well.
0: Yeah, but even as just matter of fact, uh, way of dealing with like, oh, you're tripping on some <laughs> on some drugs. Okay, I've seen this before, or maybe I've even done this before. I know exactly what you're dealing with right now and how to
1: help you. And here's the time; it's, it's gonna wear off, and you'll be fine around one thirty. <laughs> like he's, it's just like boom,
0: boom, boom. As opposed to like Dawes's wife, who's just panics about the whole thing. Like this is so strange; I can't handle this, and it's a nightmare whether or not it, this is a good idea for Dawes to take this drug <laughs> is beside the point how Drake is just so perfunctory about it. It felt like something that Callahan would do. Callahan would, you know, just as easily handle that situation. Yep. And then
1: I don't know, fall victim to some, <laughs> some other silly thing, but that is a great handful of dark tower. Thinny Sergey. Yeah, I'm very impressed that this book has as many as it has. It also has a couple of yucking it up moments. So why don't we get into those? Yeah. So I found mine like within the first five pages of this section of the book. Uh-huh. I'm like, yep, I underlined it. Here we go. This is mine. Dawes is watching a lot of TV when he's not driving. He's sitting at home drunk in front of his TV And when he's watching the TV, the man in the commercial was saying that gravy train, when mixed with warm water, made its own gravy. He asked the audience if it didn't look just like beef stew. To Barton George Dawes, it looked just like a loose bowel movement that somebody had done in a red dog dish. Yep. Nice. I could have done without
0: that. The gravy train making its own gravy is the genesis of a New York City joke. And I can't pin down the name of the comedian, but I remember the joke. Mm. And he would say, New York City is the only city in the world that when it rains, it makes its own gravy. (laughs)
1: Yep. Sounds, seems (laughs) about right. Yes. We may have talked about that during the stand.
0: Yeah, I think so. I found two yucking it up moments. The first one was a, Dawes has a vision of committing Harakari while kneeling in a confessional booth. And then watching as his guts accordion out onto the bench like beef stew. Oh,
1: and of course that brings me back to the running man when Yes, Ben Richards is pulling his guts around. So yeah, guts accordion are never good. Yeah. Apologies to
0: anybody listening now while they might be having dinner. But the next one is about how Dawes had never thought about how words could have taste. Mm but the word inoperable did for him. It tasted bad, yet juicy at the same time, like rotten hamburger cooked
1: rare. That synesthesia will get you any time, right? Mixing your senses like that, where words have tastes and sights have smells and all that. Yeah. Uh, So if you enjoy our yucking it up moments, and if you enjoy our Dark Tower thinnies, and if you enjoy the show in general, we want to thank you for listening, and we want to have a particular shout out to our patrons who support our show via the Patreon app. And on that Patreon app, they get exclusive content that we have only there, including bonus podcast episodes. Learn more at patreon.com slash two guys, dark tower. I think it's time for fun stuff, Jay. All right, let's do some fun stuff. Okay. I, I, was kicking myself after we recorded last episode because the one big fun stuff thing that I wanted to bring up, I forgot to do so. And that is that this book, Roadwork, has the same plot as Douglas Adams' The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. (laughs) I mean, think about it. Our main characters are living in their house and all of a sudden a new highway is scheduled to go right through their house. It's gonna destroy their lives and they need to do something about it. I mean, the only thing that's missing is a sarcastic robot and a towel. Well, that and Dawes would have to just wear a bathrobe for the whole book. Well, I mean, has King been specific in what he's been wearing? I've sort of been a in my mind, I've been imagining the fact that Dawes <laughs> has been wearing a bathrobe this whole time. <laughs>
0: you just that's your imagination for
1: for every character of every I assume that everyone's in a bathrobe unless told otherwise. That makes sense. <laughs> so yeah, uh, readers, if you can find other ways in which roadwork is similar to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, I implore you to let us know so we can add them to future fun stuffs. One of my fun stuff items
0: is when Dawes sets off the fire bombs, and he's looking back at his
1: handiwork. He yells, demo fucking listen. <laughs> I just love. I underlined that and I noted to myself, Jay is going to love this. (laughs) I know it works for you, man. Yep. I loved when, well, well, first of all, I love the character uh, Sally One-Eye, Sal Magliori, who is the uh, possibly connected guy with ties to the underworld who Dawes has gone to for explosives and other things. And on Christmas Day of all things, Magliori calls Dawes to let him know that I'm pretty sure you're the guy who uh, destroyed all that stuff for the construction crew, but I hate to tell you to you, they got backups for all that stuff and it's not going to delay anything at all. So tough. But before we get to that, Magliore sort of hits around. He's like, were you the guy who did it? And Dawes says to you, I wouldn't admit my middle name. And I thought that that's just a fantastic line. Yeah, that that is a great,
0: great line. I got to start using that in my uh, general life to you. I wouldn't admit my middle name. I like that. So the the final item I had for fun stuff is that when Dawes is hanging out with his buddy Wally at this amazing party, who, by the way, Wally seems to be the best party host ever. Agreed. I would love to go to one of his parties. He quotes. He misquotes. Actually, he doesn't misquote. He says the center does not hold, and then fo- then incorrectly attributes it to T.S. Eliot. Yes. The reason why I thought this was funny was, A, because Wally seems so wise and talented at organizing parties, but his knowledge of poetry is terrible. (laughs) But also, The Center Does Not Hold is an important theme in The Stand. And it's not T.S. Eliot, it's actually Yeats, or as the general in, in The Stand pronounces it, Yeats. So I thought it was really cool that we get another Gates reference in this book, even though it's uh, incorrectly attributed to Elliot.
1: Yeah, no, I thought that that was fantastic, too, for all the reasons you said, this sort of double connection to to different works here. And again, this is something that King must have thought. I don't know if like King got the line wrong in his head at some point or didn't know how to pronounce Yates or whatever. But the fact that he's like reusing it in multiple books, Mm -hmm. somebody who was a close reader of both Richard Bachman and Stephen King might've said at some point, boy, that's sort of odd Two different authors making the same sort of connection. But yeah, I guess nobody did.
0: Center does not hold man.
1: The poem that the center does not hold comes from is the poem is called the second coming. Which was the original title for Stephen King's *Salem's Lot*? So there's another connection on top of that.
0: My my head is spinning <laughs> with with all of these connections. It's amazing. Yeah. And he wrote that book at the same time he was writing this book. So King must have just been reading rereading, Yates or something. Yeah.
1: Like, yeah, you know, like like you do, like you do. It, I mean, it, it's a go-to, right? The the further funny thing about that is the reason that he changed the name was because his wife, Tabitha, told him that the original title sounded too much like a bad sex story.
0: Uh-huh. It didn't bother Yates, though.
1: <laughs> nope, not at all. <laughs> well, on that fun note, that's going to be it for this episode of Two Guys to the Dark Tower Came. Thanks, Jay. Thank you. Links to all of our social media is available in the show notes. If you like the show, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. And just as a reminder, if you want to support the show, visit patreon.com slash twoguysdarktower. Next episode, join us as we complete our coverage of roadwork, discussing part three. For Jay Russo, I'm Sean McCurr. Thanks for listening. Is, is that the, the... Mescaline or is it mescala I pronounced it mescaline. Mescaline? I don't know.
0: I, I I don't know what the correct pronunciation is. But We're
1: leaving I it th- as it is.
0: All right. We're leaving it. We're doing it live. We're <laughs> doing it live, people. <laughs> I, th- I thought that was my fun stuff, but that's all right.
1: It was both of our fun stuff. I handed it underline. Okay.
0: Yeah, that's fair.